We learned something from your passage uh, tonight, Father, and I, I pray that you'd help us have a good time of fellowship with the ice cream and the cake after the service as well. Lord, we love you in your precious name. I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we find ourselves there in Genesis chapter number 33. And, you know, I, I'm not going to take the time to go through the entire story, but uh, for those of you that have been with us on Sunday nights, or maybe you're just a, a student of the Bible, you understand what's happening here with Jacob and Esau. Jacob stole Esau's blessing. Jacob first stole his birthright, well, didn't steal his birthright. Esau sold his birthright, if you remember, for just a bowl of soup. And when Esau sold his birthright, uh, that angered God, and God allowed Jacob, and, and, and Jacob did it in a sinful way, but Jacob uh, deceived Isaac and stole Esau's rightful blessing. And now we find ourselves 20 years later, and Jacob, by the moving of God's hand, is returning back to Canaan land, but none other than Esau is waiting for uh, Jacob there, and Jacob has to has to meet with Esau, he has to deal with Esau, and after Jacob met with uh, God in the last chapter, if you remember there, if you look at verse 30, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, of the last chapter, verse 30, uh, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And you remember, the Bible says that he wrestled with Jesus Christ, uh, the, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and he wrestled with him. In verse 25, all night long, and he got, obtained a blessing from God, and he walked away from there uh, forever to have a limp as a remembrance uh, that, that he had met God, because God shrank his, the sinew of his thigh there, and he limped for the rest of his life, and when he when he left that night after meeting God, he left a different man, and he walked into camp, now after dealing with God and meeting with God, prepared and ready to meet with Esau. Now you got to understand, Jacob wronged Esau. Jacob hurt Esau. Jacob did a vast wrong to Esau, and Jacob needs to find forgiveness from Esau. And really, chapter number 33, it has a lot to do with how Esau found Jacob. And, I, and like I said, I don't want to take very long tonight, uh, but I'd like to just point out a few things in this story for you. I'd like to talk about how Esau found Jacob. How Esau found Jacob. Esau found a very cautious Jacob. Esau found a very cautious Jacob. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came with him 400 men. Now, if you remember, when Jacob originally sent his servants out to uh, negotiate with Esau, his servants came back with no positive or negative. They just said, Esau's coming with 400 men. And now Jacob can see Esau coming with this cow, you know, this mounted cavalry of, of soldiers with him, 400 men. And, and, Esau, and Jacob begins to get nervous. And you got to understand, the last time... Jacob heard from Esau, Esau had threatened to kill Jacob. If you remember, uh, Jacob's mom sent him to Laban, and she said, I will call for you when Esau's anger has, uh, you know, has gone away. Twenty years went by, and she never called for him. So as far as Jacob is concerned, Esau is mad. And he's coming with 400 men. So he has something to be nervous about. And if you look, it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes, verse 1, And looked, and behold, Esau came with him, 400 men, and he divided the children unto... Notice what he does. He divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. He has four wives there. Children with four different women. Leah, Rachel, and the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, 
and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and, jo- and Joseph hindermost. You say, well, what is he doing? Well, if, if you remember the story, Jacob loved Rachel. And Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and he was lied to, and he was tricked into marrying uh, Leah. And he had to work an additional seven years for Rachel. But his heart was always with Rachel. And what Jacob is doing, and it's not right, but what he's doing is he's setting up his family in order of, you know, how expendable they are to him. Order of importance to him. He's putting the least important, the handmaids and their children first, then Leah and their children first, and then his beloved Rachel and Joseph last. And he's thinking, you know, if Esau comes upon them and begins to kill them, then the ones that I love the most will have the most chance to flee. And, you know, that's not right. And obviously this very obvious favoring of Rachel and uh, Joseph did not help Joseph later on as we will see when his brothers begin to hate Joseph because of their father and how uh, he favored uh, uh, Joseph. But, you know, we, we read stuff like this about Jacob and it makes us dislike Jacob. It makes us not like Jacob. And there's lots of things we could find about Jacob that we don't like. We don't like it when Jacob lies. We don't like it when Jacob cheats. We don't like it when Jacob does this type of stuff. Where he's, you know, categorizing his family. I like you the most. I like you the least. I'm going to put you first. And if something happens to you, then it's not as big of a deal. You're more expendable than these people. And we don't like that. But I want you to notice in verse 3 what Jacob does. See, Jacob, I I really learned to love Jacob as a character because he does these things that really upset us and then he does these things that just make us really like him. And and he set up his children in order of importance, the most important to him in the back and the least important to him in the front. But then in verse 3 the Bible says, and he passed over before them. So he puts himself at the front. You know what he's saying to his family, really? He's saying, you're the least important and you're the most important, but then he puts himself in the front Saying, you know, I'm the least important. You know, and he puts himself before his entire family in the immediate area of, 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 of danger. And, I, I, you know, I find that kind of a, a crude example of uh, Jesus Christ and God. Because often, you know, I think to myself, when it comes to salvation, you know, we preach so hard about sin and about hell and about how people are condemned to hell. But when you sit back and think about it, it's God's word that condemns us. I mean, Paul said that, you know, before the law came, there was no sin. Without the law, there'd be no knowledge of sin. The law is the one that condemned us, and the law is God's words. And sometimes I think to myself, God, why is it that your word is the one that condemns us to hell, that condemns us uh, to an eternity of torment? You know, it, it, it almost seems like, God, your word is the problem. But then, you know, just like Jacob, he put his family there in, in, in danger, but then in the same way, Jesus Christ then takes, you know, the first step and puts himself in our protector, just like Jacob did. You know, and, and, and Jacob will do these kinds of things where we'll dislike him and then we'll, we'll see him and we'll like him. But I want you to see there is number one, Esau found a very cautious Jacob, but number two, Esau found a very courageous Jacob. When he stepped out in front and put himself between his family and Esau, he showed courage. He showed confidence. In verse 3 the Bible says, and he passed over before them. But not only did Esau find a cautious Jacob, not only did Esau find a courageous Jacob, but Esau found a contrite Jacob. Look at, verse, look at the end of the verse, verse 3, And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So the Bible says that he, he, he would take a few steps as he was approaching Esau and then he would bow himself to the ground, is what the Bible says. 
Then he would get back up and he'd take a few more paces and he would bow himself to the ground. And he would get back up and he'd take a few more paces and he would bow himself to the ground. And he did that seven times till he approached Esau. Now you got to understand, Esau is a leader at this time in the, the area where he, where he uh, serves. And Esau becomes his, his own nation. And, he, and he's a leader of, of a nation. And what Jacob is doing here, he's not submitting himself to Esau in the effect of bowing down as a servant, but it's just a, a uh, very respectful thing when you were approaching a leader of a country. You know, I, my, my wife and I uh, were re- recently kind of doing a little bit of study about, um, not recently, it was a few months ago, but we're looking into a lot about John Adams. And John Adams was the first uh, ambassador that went to England. You know, and that was a hard job. After, you know, during the, after the Revolutionary War, he was the ambassador that met with the king that we just beat, you know. And, and one of the things that we, we thought was interesting that he was prepped for is when John Adams went to meet the king of England, he had to do the same thing that Jacob was doing. And he probably took it from the Bible. He took a few paces and he bowed himself to God. He took a few more paces and he bowed himself. To, and that's a very common thing you would do for leadership. And that's what Esau is doing. He's, uh, Jacob is doing. He's, he's finding, he's showing Esau that he is a broken, he is a contrite, he is a scared. That word contrite there means uh, a feeling or a showing of sorrow or remorse. Uh, go with me quickly to Psalm. Let me show you a few verses. Psalm 34. If you look at Psalm 34, the Bible says, in Psalm 34, 8, Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. That is not the verse I wanted. I don't know why I've been doing that lately. I've just been writing on the wrong verse. Good night. Well, that's a good verse too. Notice how every time I write down the wrong verse, it's still a good verse. Go to Psalm 51.17. Let's see if that one's the right one. Psalm 51.17. Psalm 51.17. That's the right one. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. A contrite heart is a heart that is broken. A heart that is sorrowful. A heart that, that, that has remorse. And, and you've got to understand this because Jacob is finding himself in a position where he must find forgiveness. And look, we will all find ourselves in this position, if you haven't already. We will all find ourselves in a place where we must ask forgiveness. And, and here's a very good, I mean, I, I was excited setting this out. Uh, a, a very good example of how to get forgiveness from somebody. You want to be very cautious. Every step was well thought out. Every few paces he took, as he walked, he thought, am I, am I taking too many paces? Have I not taken enough paces? Have I not bowed enough? He would take a pace and he would bow. He would take another pace and he would bow. He would take a few more paces and he would bow. The way he lined up his family, yes, he put them in, in order of expendability, but he also put them in, order, in a great order, as we'll see here in a little bit, for them to be introduced to Esau. And everything he did was cautious. Every uh, word that he was going to say, everything that he was going to do, he did it cautiously, he did it confidently, he did it courageously. He did it with a contrite heart of remorse and of sorrow. And he was seeking forgiveness from Esau because he'd done him wrong. Look at verse 4. We saw how Esau found Jacob. I'd like you to see how Esau forgave Jacob. In verse 4 the Bible says, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. You know, next to my Bible, next to that verse, I wrote this word, relief. Because <laughs> that's probably what Jacob felt. 
The Bible says they wept, but I, I would imagine that Esau wept first and then Jacob. If I was Jacob, I would imagine if, uh, you know, Esau just approached with 400 men. I'm sure they were, you know, armed to the teeth, you know, just in these Arabian horses. I can imagine they, they were these rugged-looking men, you know, we would be in fear of them if we ran into them. And Esau jumps off his horse, runs to Jacob. You know, the first thing I think to myself after he grabbed me is, am I dead? You know, it's probably what he was thinking to himself. The Bible says, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And I want to make this point about this verse. The Bible does not emphasize emotion. But it also doesn't minimize emotion. You know, a lot of times we try to bring emotion into things that have nothing to do... You know, people try to bring emotion into salvation. With, em, salvation has nothing to do with emotion. It's simply faith. It's believing. But the Bible doesn't minimize emotion. You find these men, they're weeping. They're embracing. You notice there's no long dissertations. There's no long words of apology. There's no... They just... The emotion took care of it. They wept and they reconciled themselves. These two brothers. These twin brothers. They came together, and after a time of weeping, if you look at verse 5, they have these formal introductions. In verse 5 it says, And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. And the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near, and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. So you see that they, he introduces them to them. Look at verse 8. And, and I want you to really understand Esau. The Bible says in verse 8, and, es, and, and he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? Because if you remember the previous chapter, Jacob got a whole huge gift. I'm not going to go through and read it again. But I mean, he brought all sorts of cattle. All sorts of different things. And he put them in different droves. And they were meeting Esau. He was sending him off. And as Esau was coming, all these gifts were meeting Esau and meeting Esau. And every one of those servants was telling Esau, This is a gift from your servant Jacob. This is a gift from your servant Jacob. This is a gift from your servant Jacob. And I'm sure Esau knew that, but he still felt the need to ask. And in verse 8, Esau asked Jacob, he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said... These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. Jacob is trying to make up for... Jacob understands how much advantage he took of Esau. And he's trying to make up for that. He's giving him these gifts. And Esau is just explaining. He's saying, you know, why are you giving me all these gifts? And he said, I'm making this. I want to make it up for you. And I want you to look at verse 9. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep up thou hast unto thyself. And I want you to understand Esau, because Esau in this story is such a likable person. I mean, with, a, with, with one statement, he just wipes away the debt that Jacob owes him. He said, I have enough, my brother. Keep thou, keep thou, thou hast unto thyself. Verse 10, And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if thou hast found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand, for therefore I have seen the face... I have seen thy face, as though I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and I want you to just look at the, the last phrase. The Bible says, and he, referring to Esau, took it. So Esau first refused the gift, 
very graciously said, don't worry about it, I have enough. And then after Jacob makes this spiel about, no, I want to take it, he just very graciously accepts it. A very polite gentleman, very courteous gentleman. And I want you to see a few things about, about these two men. Esau, as a man, was a better man than Jacob. I mean, he was a very gracious man. He was a very kind man. Obviously, a forgiving man. As, a, as men go, Esau was way more open, way more honest, way more outgoing of a person than Jacob. But there's one distinct difference between Esau and Jacob. And I want you to see, it's even distinct in the passage, because both Esau and Jacob made similar statements with one big difference. If you look at verse 9, Esau says, the verse says, And Esau said, I have enough. When he's saying, I don't need your gifts, he said, I have enough. And if you skip down to verse number 11, I want you to see, Jacob makes the, big, the same statement, but with one difference. In verse 11, the Bible says, I take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. You notice how they both said, I have enough. But one gave the blessing, or, or gave the kudos to God. He said, God have dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. The other one just said this, I have enough. And the difference between Esau and Jacob is this. One was saved and one wasn't. One was a Christian and one wasn't. And so often we as people will look at, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at Christians and we'll say, man, I know unsaved people that are, have more character than that Christian. I know unsaved people that have more discipline than that Christian. I know unsaved people that are more honest than that Christian. That are better people than that Christian. You know, and, and sometimes we'll look at that, and, and, and it's easy to see that in the story. We'll think, Jacob is the child of God. Jacob is the one who's going to fulfill the promise. Jacob is the one that took the blessing from God, and they called him Israel. And Esau here, he's unsaved, he's an unbeliever, he is bitter. He's rejected by God, and I'll show you that here in a little bit. He, he, he has nothing to do with God. He gives no praise to God. Yet he's the one that looks good. He's the one that looks righteous. He's the one that looks like he has a good character and the good, you know. But here's what you got to understand. We cannot grade Jacob and Esau on the same level because they're two different entities. One is alive and one is dead. One is condemned and one is forgiven. They're not the same. And if salvation was based on your character, then Esau would be saved and Jacob would be damned. But salvation has nothing to do with your character. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you are, how honest of a person you are, how much character you have. It has all to do with one thing. Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? And Jacob, though he was a liar, though he was a cheater, though he put some of his children before other children, though he would do all these things, the difference was that he was saved. And Esau wasn't. Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. In your New Testament, Hebrews chapter number 12. Let me show you exactly how unsaved Esau was. Hebrews chapter number 12. If you look at verse 16, Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 16, 
The Bible says, I'll wait for you to get there, Hebrews chapter number 12, towards the end of your New Testament. After Hebrews, you got James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. All of those are very small books. Hebrews is the largest book closest to the book of Revelation. Hebrews chapter number 12, look at verse 16. The Bible says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, Notice what it says, as Esau. So we see there, Esau was a fornicator and a profane person. Who, talking about Esau, for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, notice what the Bible says, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know, Christians today have this idea. They, they think that God is the God of the second chance. And God, and God is the God of the second chance. But He's not necessarily the God of the third or the fourth or the fifth chance. And I, I'm here to tell you something, and this goes against, you know, the whole grain of Christianity. But there does come a point in people's lives when they cross the line too far and the Bible says that God rejected Esau and even though he sought repentance carefully he could not find it that's what the Bible says that's the truth I mean let me read it for you again for ye know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected for he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears the Bible says there are people who can look for repentance they can look for God, for salvation. But once they've crossed a line, once they've gone too far, God has rejected them. Let me show you another verse. Go with me to Jeremiah. In your Old Testament, you've got those three major books there of the prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, then the book of Jeremiah. And go with me to Jeremiah chapter number 6. Jeremiah chapter number 6, and look at verse number 30. Jeremiah chapter number 6, look at verse 30. The Bible says that Esau was rejected. He tried. He sought repentance, and he could not find it. And the key word there is that he was rejected. Look at Jeremiah chapter number 6, look at verse 30. The Bible says, Reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord hath rejected them. Well, the God is the God of the second chance. No, He's not. You know, we need to be careful, and obviously we believe in eternal security, and once you're saved, you're always saved. We understand that. But you know, these unsaved people out here who think that they can just live how they want, do what they want, you know, blaspheme God, hate God, and, and you know, God will just accept them at any time. That's not always necessarily the case. There does come a time when if we reject God, and we reject God, and we reject God, then eventually He will reject you. And the Bible says, when they call you a reprobate, that means God hath rejected. The word reprobate means rejected of God. Esau was a reprobate because God rejected him. And you know what's interesting? Go with me to Romans chapter number 1. In your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 1, if you look at verse number 28, it's the same terminology that God uses for the sodomites. You say, what's a sodomite? A queer. A fag. Look at 
Romans chapter number 1, look at verse number 28. The Bible says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, look what it says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The Bible says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now, we just did a Bible study. What does the word reprobate mean? Jeremiah 6.30. It means they were rejected. Esau, God uses the same terminology when he damned a homosexual to hell. He used the same terminology for Esau. You say, you say a homosexual is rejected of God just because they're gay? Well, well look, at the, look at the passage. Go, go back to Romans 1, look at verse 24. Actually, just start reading at verse number 22. Actually, let's read verse 21. The Bible says, because that, when they knew God, so notice, they knew God. They glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up. Notice, they rejected God first, because they knew God, but they glorified Him not as God. Then the Bible says in verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Do you understand? The Bible says they rejected the Creator. Do you know what that's talking about? Evolution. They worship the creature more than the creator. You say, what you you we've got to understand today, there is an agenda in our public schools to teach our children evolution. Why? Because if we can teach them to reject the creator and to embrace the creation, to, to worship the creation more than the creator, if we can teach them to reject God at a young age, and they reject God, and they reject God, and they reject God, then one day God will reject them and they'll be condemned to him. That's the plan. Verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense, their, the recompense of their error which was meat. You say, what, what was the recompense of their error? I don't know, eight? Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Who rejected who first? They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So notice what the Bible says. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The Bible says that when they rejected God, He rejected them. He gave them over to a reprobate mind. And only after He gave them over, then they were able to do those things which are not convenient. The word convenient means the things that are not natural. If something comes natural to you, that's that's convenient. And, And let me tell you something. 
sin is in our our sin nature has sin. I mean, we it, it is natural for a man to lie. It is natural for a man to want to steal. It is na- that temptation is there for all of us, you know. And, and we sh- and we gotta uh, hold those temptations. But it is natural for someone to be, you know, attracted to someone of the opposite sex. But it is not natural for someone to, you know, be attracted to someone of the same sex. That's unnatural. That's not normal. I mean, go find worldly, unsafe high school kids, you know, boys, and ask them what they think about homosexuality. They think it's disgusting. Because it's not natural. Only when God has rejected, when God has seared a mind, is someone able to do those things which are unnatural. You say, how do I know if someone's a reprobate when they can do unnatural things? See, someone said to me, oh, so-and-so committed adultery. They must not be Christian. Well, hold on. I mean, that's a bad, bad sin. But that's pretty natural. But if someone said to me, so-and-so, you know, is sleeping with people of the same sex, well, that's not normal. So-and-so is into, you know, looking at little children. Well, that's not normal. I mean, that comes with a reprobate, a rejected mind. The Bible says that God has seared their conscience. And that's the same terminology that God used for Esau. Yet, when we look at Esau and Jacob on face value, Esau looks like the better man. Isn't that amazing? You say, oh, I, I, I've got some friends. They're homosexuals and they're very nice. And so was Esau. Well, they're, they're very polite. They're very cordial. They, never, they don't seem like they'd hurt anybody. So did Esau. But according to God, he was rejected. And that's why you can't base Jacob and Esau on the same level. They're not the same thing. One has a regenerated soul and one has a rejected soul. And you know, people don't like to hear this today. People don't like, you know, when you preach against the queers. You preach, but it's the truth. I mean, that's what the Bible says. And Esau was unsaved. Esau was rejected. Esau was a... And by the way, you know, you don't... Every homosexual is a reprobate, but, you know, not every reprobate is a homosexual necessarily. You could be a reprobate. I mean, Pharaoh was a reprobate. And the Bible never tells us that he was homosexual. I'm not saying he wasn't, but, you know... There comes a time where if you reject God and reject God and reject God, God will, you can't cross a line where God will reject you. And, and all unsaved people will cross that line after death, for sure. But some people like Esau cross it even before they die. Because the Bible says he sought repentance with tears and he could not find it. Esau seems like the better man. And it's so easy to compare a Christian to some unsaved person say, well, they're a better person. Well, that's not what salvation is. That's not what Christianity is. It's not based on how good of a person you are. It's based on your faith on Jesus Christ. Go back with me to Genesis chapter number 33. I'd like you to see not only how Esau found Jacob, and not only how Esau forgave Jacob, but I want you to see how Esau frightened Jacob. Look at Genesis chapter number 33, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, And he said, Let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and the herds with young are with me, and if men should overdrive them one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servants, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, What needeth it? 
Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. Now here's what you got to understand. Esau is wanting to join up with Jacob. Esau saying, let's travel together. Esau sees Jacob, he looks very weak, he looks very uh, vulnerable, and he says, let's travel together. Jacob explains to Esau, Esau, this doesn't make any sense. You've got 400 soldiers on horses, I've got cattle and young children. We're going to be going at a very slow pace, and your men are going to want to go a lot faster. It, it doesn't make any sense for us to travel together. And here's what you got to understand. Jacob, after his encounter with Laban, had learned a wonderful principle of separation. There are, the Bible teaches that there are certain people that ought to be separated from each other. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're, we're almost done, I promise. I know you want ice cream. You had ice cream this morning, so you can wait a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 14, the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Look at verse 14, 17, I'm sorry. Wherefore... He's saying, because of this. Because of why? Because Christ and Belial have no reason to be together. Because an unbeliever and an infidel have no reason to be together. Because the temple of God and idols have no agreement together. He says, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. See, Jacob was saying, Esau, it doesn't make sense for us to travel together. We're going at different paces. We're going to different areas. We're not meant to walk together. And he was very cordial. The tact that, that Jacob used was very commendable. He, he was very nice. But he said, Esau, it doesn't make sense for you, an unbeliever, and me, a believer, to yoke up together. It's not convenient. It's not good. It doesn't make any sense. Why don't you just go on ahead and we'll travel our separate ways. And in the same way, it's the same way with believers. You know, so often we got to uh, explain to people, you, you know, it, you don't, don't let your Christian child... Your Christian teenager, you're, you know, well, you're not letting your teenager date, period. But, you know, when your children get to the age where they're getting ready to marry, and they start dating, be very careful that they don't yoke up with an unbeliever, because that makes no sense. It's, it, it's not logical. It's not convenient. They're going at different paces. They're going in different directions. They ought not be yoked up. That's what the Bible is talking about. He says, you know... Um, in verse uh, 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You ought to be separated. Your best friend ought not be this unsafe person. You know, that's why, you know, at our church we strive so hard to keep, you know, and we're not perfect at it, but we try to keep an atmosphere of family and friendship and fellowship. We want you guys to be friends and we want to be able to know each other and, and eat together and laugh together. Why? Because your friends ought not be unbelievers, they ought to be believers. When you're unequally yoked, the Bible says that's not going to work. You know, don't, don't let your kids 
be so friendly with unbelief. Make their friends, you know, church people. Make, make sure they marry church people. Make sure you're going to go start a business. Start a business with a church person. Start some, you know, do something with people that you agree that you that you have the same things in common. It was not convenient for Jacob and Esau to travel together. Jacob learned that the hard way when he yoked up with Laban. And Jacob was not scared. He was not frightened by Esau. He didn't think Esau was going to hurt him. He just thought to himself, I I don't want to yoke myself up. The Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We need to separate ourselves from unbelievers because they're going a different direction. We're, We're pressing on the upward way. And if their souls are damned to hell, look, they're going to have different... Priorities? You know, I, 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 my heart breaks when I, I, I see a Christian young man dating an unsaved girl. And, and, you know, while they're dating, it's all fun, and she's so pretty, and we get along, and, and then you get children. And you want to raise them up, you know, in church with the Bible, they want to raise them up. You know, it, it, you, you yoke yourself up unequally, you're going to have problems. The, the idea there, the illustration that he's using, he's using the illustration of two oxen being yoked up together as they're plowing a field. They're working together. And the idea there is that when you're yoked up with another oxen, if one oxen began to split, if one oxen began to fall, the other oxen could pull them up. And that's the idea. That's what a friend is for. That's what a spouse is for. That's what, you know, church is for. You yoke yourself up with another believer and then you start maybe slipping a little bit and you start, you know, maybe uh, you're, you're not coming to church as much. You're not reading your Bible as much and you're not, you know, uh, serving God as much. And then that other person who's yoked up the same You need to separate. There are friends that we need not... You know, there are people that you may be related to that you need not be friends with. Say, that's hard. I know it's hard. But it's the truth. Jacob and Esau were twins. But Jacob and Esau were two different people going two different ways. We saw, number one, how... Esau found Jacob. We saw number two how Esau forgave Jacob. We saw number three how Esau frightened Jacob. I just want to show you one more thing. Genesis chapter number 33. Look at verse 10. Genesis chapter number 33. Look at verse 10. I want you to see how Esau favored Jacob. How Esau favored Jacob. Genesis chapter number 33. Look at verse 10. Genesis 33.10. The Bible says, And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my presence at my hand, for therefore I have seen thy face. Notice what he says. As though I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. So why did Jacob say that about an unsaved person? Well, do you remember? It's interesting. Jacob did just see the face of God. He wrestled all night long with God. And what you've got to understand is, when Jacob was seeking forgiveness from Esau. When Jacob was making his sin right with Esau, he was actually making his sin right with God. If you remember, when David was confronted with his adultery and with his murder of Uriah the Hittite, and Nathan came to him and he said, you know, thou art the man. If you remember, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. 
Because when Jacob sinned against Esau, his true sin was against God. And what Jacob was saying here is, I have seen your face as I have seen the face of God. And he said, you know, I have... Uh, I, 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 uh, let me just read for you. I've seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. What he's saying, he was saying, when I made it right with Esau, even though he was unsaved, even though he was rejected, when I made it right with Esau, he said, I made it right with God. And when he found favor with Esau, he found favor with God. Can we read one more verse? Will we done? I promise. One more verse. Put me to First John chapter number one, verse nine. Just go towards the end of your New Testament. You find the book of Revelation. You have Jude. 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John, chapter number 1, look at verse number 9. 1 John, chapter number 1, look at verse number 9. The Bible says, If we confess our sins, He, talking about Jesus, talking about God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, there will come a time when you've got to seek forgiveness from an, in, an individual? Yes. But there will come many times when we must seek reconciliation and forgiveness from God. Say, so how, how do I come to God to seek forgiveness? I'm not talking about salvation. We understand when you get saved, you've been forgiven of our sins. But on a daily basis, on a regular basis, we've got to be confessing our sins to God and asking God to forgive us of the things that we do in our life. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you better do it cautiously. You better come with a contrite spirit. A broken spirit. You better do it confidently. And look, you will always find favor with God. Notice what he says? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says it doesn't matter how many times you do the same stupid thing. When people give up on you, when people hate you, when you look like an idiot, he said, it doesn't matter. I am faithful. I will forgive you every time. Isn't that good? But we got to come to him. we got to keep that list short. And we got to understand, you know, there will be times when we need to face our Esau's, face our sin, face our problem, get that right so we can be right with God. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father. Lord, I, I, I do 